3: taking it to a do it yourself
2: level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bzd.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at bzdtechshow. G'day, my name is Anthony Daniel, and joining me as always is Matt Grantham. How are you, mate? Very good, Anthony. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. And today we're going to be speaking to Dr. Helen Baxter and Helena Gomez from the University of Hull, uh, who have recently published an article in The Conversation called oh, Vanadium, the beautiful metal that stores energy, and they both join us today from Hull in the UK. Hello, Helena and Helen.
0: Hello. Hello. My
2: it's great to for you to join us today and we wanted to speak to you about this because you know there's a lot of ems that are out there and we're always interested in hearing about the latest and greatest the way we always start these interviews is to speak a bit about our guests and where got them where they are we have a lot of listeners who perhaps starting out on their journey on, w- on working out what they want to do with their careers and, and in so many situations you know, where you end up is not where you imagined when you started so can you give us a bit of an idea on uh, on your career progression up until now
3: and before you get into that Helen and Helen can I say I'd be very impressed if in year 12 you know when the counselor asked you what you thought you were going to do when you grew up that you both looked them straight in the eye and said I'll tell you what I'm going to do 12 years from now I'm going to be studying vanadium so uh, if that's your <laughs> if that's your story I would be, be, be very impressed impress (laughs)
1: No, it's not really quite my story. So my background is in environmental engineering. I'm original from Portugal, so I studied in Lisbon. And I work as a consultant and I work also as a project manager in the environmental remediation of abandoned mines and orphan sites. And I did my PhD in contaminated soils, and now I'm working as a postdoctoral researcher here in the University of Hull in a project about resource recovery and remediation of alkaline wastes. Okay, and I guess
0: the way I got here was I wanted to be a pirate, so I studied oceanography (laughs) at the University of Southampton, and then I figured out I'd... Kind of like to save the planet, so environmental sciences was the way to go. And I did my PhD in looking at um, remediating abandoned mine sites, so making sure that they were no longer having an environmental impact. So I I,
2: that's I, I think every every pirate needs an every pirate group needs an oceanographer. I think that they, they ignore that. <laughs> at their peril, I think you know. Maybe they could give you, they could headhunt you at some point. I also with with Helena, I, you are Portuguese, so I should have pro- probably pronounced it Gomes. I, I got that wrong, so I apologise. But let's move on and and talk a bit about what the works you're working on and um, the the article you wrote for the conversation. A site that is well known in Australia is 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 it something that is. In the UK as well, I, I'm familiar with this as a, as a website where academics get the opportunity to share their work and they work with journalists as a way of putting their ideas across to a, to a more lay audience. Is What was your experience with working with The Conversation?
0: It was really positive. I first found out about The Conversation through a seminar that one of the editors came to at the University of Hull to tell us and encourage us to write for the conversation. And that was how I found out about
1: it. Yeah, this is the second article we write about the project and all of them were very well received and got a lot of feedback from the audience and also a lot of interaction in the social media and Twitter and everything. So it's, it's very good to have a different engagement with the public.
3: Well, of course, the article was titled Vanadium, the Beautiful Metal that Stores Energy. And so just going on to a bit about vanadium, um, tell us a little bit about this element and where we're likely to find, what form we're likely to find it in.
1: So vanadium is um, the 22nd more abundant metal on Earth, and it can be found in different minerals. And it's not a rare metal, but it has a medium risk of supply s- sources and also a high political risk. So the major produ- productors are China, South Africa, Russia and the USA. So in Europe we are dependent of external so- sources of, of vanadium. It is mostly used in reinforced steel and also as a catalyst for the production of sulfuric acid. And The problem is it can also be a contaminant, so in the alkaline wastes we are studying, what happens is when the rainwater goes through the waste, it can solubilize vanadium. And vanadium in the environment is toxic and a possible carcinogen, so we don't want it to be released to our surface and groundwater.
2: So when materials, including vanadium, are disposed of, what kinds of forms are they likely to be? Is it scrap metal, that kind of thing? Where are people likely to find it?
0: It's likely to be in the water course um, and dissolved in very small... It's a sort of salt, so it's within the water. I mean, we're looking at the leachate, so in its liquid form coming out and it gets absorbed by the plants and animal life and impacts on them depending on the levels that are available. And it comes in different forms which are more or less bioavailable, so they have a greater or lesser impact on the local environment. So we're not talking about big chunks of metal being lodged around the place. And that's kind of why it's so important to remove it from the leachate because it is dissolved and it is accessible to the ecosystem and has a negative impact on it.
3: This is the Beyond Zero show and the show specialises looking at you know renewable energy technologies and there's a lot of excitement at the moment around the possibility of vanadium specifically to do with flow batteries. So in terms of this need for a battery with these Fuel source for a battery, if you like, and you've got obviously it's a, a byproduct of some industrial processes. What do you see in terms of the main areas of focus, and how much in terms of industrial waste? How much of this resource could we recover to then use in, in, for example, in in batteries, in flow batteries, if we wanted to?
0: We could probably recover seven to nine percent of the global production need for vanadium from this. Uh, process particularly from red mud, which is a byproduct of the aluminium bauxite um, industry. Um, but the important thing about in terms of renewables is that vanadium flow batteries act like a reservoir in the same way that. Um, water acts as a reservoir to store energy in hydro plants. It means that while the wind's blowing or the sun's shining, using these specific vanadium flow batteries, it acts like a bucket so we can use it later, which is the key thing about renewables and one of the limiting factors is that we can only use it as it's there because batteries' efficiency and ability to store energy is so limited. So this is why this is so exciting and specifically with the vanadium because we're doing a dual purpose here. We're protecting the environment by removing it from the environment and also it's useful. It's it's a win-win situation in terms of renewable and environmental protection.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I, I want to get into some of those details of how it's used and how it's valuable uh, a, a bit later on. But I'd like to perhaps get your view from the specific expertise you both have around this whole concept of a primary resource and a byproduct because there's probably a number of examples that don't come to mind right now where something is a byproduct, begins as that, and that is, okay, we can pull this out, how can we make use of it? Like, for instance, rebound ace tennis courts are made out of old tyres for example. Someone found a way to make use of the excess rubber to, to make use of um, that kind of application. But then an industry grows around something that is, wow, this isn't the byproduct anymore. This is the main game. This is why we're doing this. And then somebody may come around and say, well, now I need to start actually mining and purifying this stuff specifically for this purpose. Are there any sort of other examples, perhaps not with Vanadium specifically, where, where you've seen that in action, where you've thought, well, this is something that everyone thought was a waste product and they found a way to use it. And then that became a really fully fledged industry in its own right.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if we speak again to steel making slag, which is one of the materials that we're looking at recovering vanadium from, the slag itself is used in roadstone in Europe. And in some cases there's a shortage of it. So, Originally, we were using mined materials to surface our road, rubble, roadstone, and now we're using the steel slag, but there's a shortage. So you've got a problem with um, the availability of the slag because of the levels of production of the steel industry, which you're probably aware of with China dumping and the production of that having an impact. On the use of the byproduct. So then there are the issues about well, do we return to mining virgin materials or are there other materials that we can use? So that's a really good example of unforeseen consequences for byproduct use.
2: I think there's a point where a byproduct, if it becomes that successful, you shouldn't call it slag anymore. You know, it should be rebranded. If it's become that successful, would you agree? <laughs>
0: absolutely I mean, terminology is everything <laughs> exactly
3: and, and without going into sort of too much detail of the chemistry although we do have quite a technical audience on our show what's the sort of brief chemical overview of of the vanadium the element and why is it so valuable as an element give us a bit of, bit of an idea about its actual chemical properties that make it great for use as a flow battery it's basically
1: the 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 Vanadium has the possibility of of presenting all these different oxidation states. So vanadium can have seven different oxidation states, and three are the most stable ones. So what happens is when vanadium loses electrons, it moves from an oxidation state to another. And those oxidation reduction reactions are the ones that are used in the flow batteries that we mentioned in, in the article.
3: And flow battery is obviously something that we've interviewed a lot of people looking at a lot of different storage technologies on this show. And vanadium is one that is particularly exciting. It seems to have this property. You mentioned those oxidation states where, for example, lithium ion batteries will have a tendency to wear out over time. And a lot of the other sort of chemistries have this sort of element of fatigue to them. The research that I've seen on vanadium seems to indicate that it can basically not keep going forever, but it's got a, a tremendous sort of durability in terms of its ability to oxidise and re Effectively, it's a battery that doesn't really wear out. Can you sort of talk to us, uh, explain a, why that is and, and the potential benefits of that as a property?
1: Yeah, the good thing about vanadium redox flow batteries is they just use one chemical substance. That's vanadium in two different oxidation states. So you eliminate the risk of uh, cross-contaminations, because if you have two different chemical substances in the battery, eventually, with time, you will get a mixture. So here we are just talking about one species, so that can prolongate the, the lifetime of the battery.
2: So when you're talking about the various um, stable oxidation states, what are they? Like vanadium, how, how many electrons are likely to be in, in one state compared to another? And, and then how does that energy flow through the system?
1: So usually one of the typical stable species of vanadium is vanadium 5. So in this state, vanadium has a 5 plus positive charge. So it lost five electrons compared to the metallic phase. So what's happening in the redox flow batteries is vanadium is transforming from one oxidation state to the other. I'm not sure if I did this. Yeah, and
2: and what is the other
3: oxidation state likely to be? Is it like a four or something like that? Yeah,
1: three plus would be more stable.
3: Okay. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Show, and today we're speaking to Helen Baxter and Helena Gomez from the University of Hull, and we're speaking about vanadium and its uh, potential properties and uses for battery storage. As I said, we've interviewed people, a lot of people on the show talking about different sorts of battery chemi- chemistries. Can you give us any sort of indication on, on how this flow battery, the vanadium element, how it compares to the more common one that people will have heard of in terms of lithium?
1: So the, the use of the lithium and vanadium batteries has to be totally different because of the scale. You cannot have vanadium batteries as small ones as the lithium ones. So vanadium batteries will be made for storage energy. So they will have a completely different dimension of the ones we use in our day-to-day electronics.
2: So yeah, more likely to be used in a renewable energy sort of context where you're wanting to store a lot of energy and sort of transfer energy use from an, a period where a lot of electricity is being generated to a time when it's in demand. if If we're talking, you know what kind of size are we talking Are we're talking say the size of a uh, of a crate, or even the size of a shipping container, um, how does the size relate to the say the potential energy storage? Potential of a vanadium flow battery.
1: I've seen a commercial American application like with a, a cubic meter. Yeah. And, and the thing is that
0: uh, the vanadium batteries is basically, if you think of it in terms of it's a bucket storing energy, the vanadium batteries are the equivalent of using a high quality material to have a big volume, whereas lithium batteries you're looking at it in terms of a cup so you use different materials to make different sizes of things so if you think of it as vanadium batteries are very good to make a big swimming pool whereas um, a a, a plastic cup it's much better for a smaller volume so that would be your lithium battery, you're not going to use the same thing to do to store different volumes of energy
3: and, and Anthony, I think it's also important that we sort of, you know, bring in, we've, we've interviewed previously on the show people like uh, Luke Osborne from Reposit and a number of those other sort of uh, software companies looking at, at how they can use battery storage. Uh, the, the very difference between the two types of batteries of an 18 battery, of course, tends to be more of a flow battery where it can yep. discharge more slowly. And so and as a result is exactly what you say there. Um, uh, Helen is that it, it's very big, and so it has really no application in terms of, for example, uh, electric vehicles, uh, because unless you've got a very big car um, and you want to weigh it down, uh, you would struggle. And 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 also, it's interesting to 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 look at this uh, technology and this this um, element from the different aspects of the jobs to be done on, in terms of the, the, the electric grid itself. So vanadium has a slightly lower uh, sort of discharge capacity in terms of its round-trip efficiency relative to some of the other technologies like lithium. Uh, lithium, of course, can be stuck into uh, mobile phones and those, lo- those little small devices, like you say. But, uh, but in terms of, of, of flow batteries, uh, it is a very different technology and is more applicable to large-scale stationary applications.
0: Absolutely. It's about being able to supply it, again, to come back to renewables, being able to supply that baseload and respond to need as it's needed, rather than just having something that you switch on and off. You know, it's, it's all about being able to supply a need when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining, and being able to access that excess energy that we have so
3: that it's not being wasted and obviously there's a lot of these different technologies out there Uh, in terms of a a market and from what you guys know in the research front here uh, what sort of uh, chunk of the market does vanadium sort of currently serve and what do you see as its potential you know you know in terms of uh, of an overall storage market for this particular chemistry
0: Well, it's not being utilized because it at the moment to its full potential, because as you were probably aware, it's very new technology and it's just currently being developed. But particularly over here in Europe, the need to store the energy, the wind energy, um, we need a form of reservoir, and these flow batteries potentially could fulfill that. So, in terms of proportion, of the market. If these batteries were attached to every single wind turbine, then it would be a massive reservoir. But how practical that is. You know, this is down to the companies developing it and selling it to basically um, the regulators, the people who decide what um, regulations apply to things and the way in which energy is generated ultimately.
1: And it also has to do with management of the distribution network.
0: Yeah, it's about yeah. having a smart grid so the energy's there when you need it and having battery storage fulfills that
2: need. That's right. There's so many moving parts, aren't there? There's like the regulation yeah. you have. There's There no, wouldn't really be any need necessarily for... For example, for these batteries to be in line, you know, in the same facility as, as, say, a wind farm, as long as you are able to have the storage in enough places and the signals going back and forth, for that, for the, for the reliability of the network to come through when it needs to, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in discussing exactly where a, a vanadium flow battery w- would sit in a grid. I, I'm, I'm assuming from what I'm hearing that it is at somewhere in between the two extremes where one is okay this is a battery in my home that is about me being had potentially having the ability to arbitrage against the grid so it be a benefit to a to a small business or, or a homeowner to be able to you know not um, demands energy when necessary so sort of playing a role behind the meter so it, May not necessarily play that role, but then on the other hand, it wouldn't play the role even at the large, large end where we're talking pumped hydro, where you're saying, okay, we're going to have a massive facility and we're going to have a situation where we're going to we're producing so much wind and solar that we're going to pump all this water up and then flush it down. What side of that continuum? Where would it, would you think a vanadium battery would be most likely to be applied in the grid?
0: I think you were probably right to say it's the happy medium in between those two extremes. The way that I would envisage it would be perhaps storage facilities with banks of vanadium batteries supplementing the flow, the base flow of um, p- potentially nuclear so that it could be supplemented in times of high demand. So there'd almost be not power stations in themselves, but the equivalent of having your hydro reservoir somewhere. So you'd have your vanadium flow battery reservoir of energy located. As you were saying about the way that they deliver, and they, it would be near urban conurbations where the need for energy fluctuates. So you could predict roughly when there are going to be needs for energy and then use the vanadium as the source of that energy in times of high demand I think that that would be a potentially really useful location of them near the the energy needs
2: the, the so this, this alliance between uranium and vanadium who would have thought okay <laughs>
0: you've
3: got your arms there no that's right i've got my ems (laughs) and uh in in terms of in terms of the sort of innovations that you guys are doing at the research level um helen and helena what what are you sort of what are you sort of working on specifically give us give us a sort of breakdown of exactly where you are what you've done recently and in terms of going forward what are the innovations you see in your work in that life cycle analysis of this of this particular element
1: So I've been working mostly on trying to recover uh, metals, especially vanadium, so we are working with with the alkaline leachate from the the wastes and we are trying to use ion exchange resins to selectively selectively recover those metals. And also working with the passive treatment of, of the leachates. So if we can get nature to work with us and uh, the natural processes that, that occur to, to remediate that potentially uh, toxic leachate, we can, we can move forward. I think one, one potential area of advance would be bio of of, of the, the wastes because bacteria can help us recover the metals. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. um, what I've been looking at is in terms of the life cycle um, analysis of the whole system. So what benefits we can potentially gain from recovering the Vanadium, looking at the different uses. So if we just recover it and then store it in a bucket and do nothing with it, what's the benefit of that versus taking the Vanadium and using it in applications such as the flow batteries and what the benefits of that are and then quantifying it in terms of what by using batteries in this way, what CO2 savings there are potentially and looking at the system as a whole.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, okay. And, and if I could just go full circle and talk about how, you know, the bribe product may become the, the main game. If it gets to the point where vanadium becomes such a, a useful element to be used in these kinds of applications, wh- where in the world can it be found in, in quantities? I mean, in your article, you spoke a lot about how it is quite plentiful, but are, are there any parts of the world that are, that are actively mining it as a, as a specific element that, that to be used in industrial applications?
1: Yeah, China is responsible for 36% of the world production and then South Africa, Russia and USA are, are the major producers. Australia has quite quite a big reserve, 1.8 million metric tons, but currently you're not mining the Navy.
2: We're too busy, busy with coal, I think you'll find. <laughs> ma- ma- maybe if coal was found to be a little less profitable, we might look into it.
3: Yeah, we'll see. We, we we'll can see. only hope. We can only hope. Okay. Unfortunately, that's uh, all we've got time for today. So um, thank you very much, um, um, Helena and, uh, and Helen.
0: Thank you.
3: We've been speaking to Helen Baxter and Helena Gomez from the University of Hull about vanadium batteries. You've been listening to Beyond Zero Show. To find about, more about what we do, you can contact us at bze.org.au. My name is Matt Grantham. I'm Anthony Daniel. We'll see you next time. See you later. It's not a product. It's a technology.
1: It's an education challenge. A
2: regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for
3: industrial photovoltaics. Time to Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests.
2: All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can.
3: Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.
2: 40 years that the station's been around. I hope it's around for the next 40 years. CR has been a trailblazer. It's still the leader and the benchmark in terms of actually engaging the community.
1: Keep the trailblazing. Support 3CR in our 40th birthday radiothon from June 6th to 19th. To donate, call 9419 or go to 3cr.org.au.
2: The role it plays is really, really, really important and the role it plays in empowering people on a personal level, empowering communities and giving communities the power to actually take a bit of control of their future cannot be underestimated.